All right, good morning, Four Oaks. It is Pastor Paul back after an extended eight to 12 week absence from these pastoral devotionals, but I am here and I am loud and proud in my Star Wars spirit jersey. Um, got to do a little Disney over the break and came back ex all excited about that, of course. Now it is Monday, January 17th, and it's been a while since we've done this together. And so let me just kind of give a brief overview. If you're, if you're new to these pastoral devotionals, what we do, um, we've obviously been preaching through the book of Romans, um, on Sunday mornings and Romans is such a rich, deep theological book. There's just not time in the sermon time to, um, dive into everything we'd want to dive into or spend as much time, um, in application or, discussion of various theological topics. So we, we use these Monday mornings, or I'm sorry, Monday through Friday mornings, 8 a.m., we take 10 or 15 minutes to take a portion of that scripture um, that we looked at the week before and to unpack some more of it. And so, so glad that you are, you are joining us for that. So this past week, um, yesterday, we were in Romans chapter five. And the idea that we were talking about was this idea of federal theology or covenantal theology or representative theology. And let me read a couple of verses from Romans 5 to, to sort of give us the context here. Paul tells us, therefore, just as sin came into through the war, I'm sorry, let me start over. Verse 12 of Romans 5, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, all right? So, so there's the first part. Paul tells us that sin came into, came into the world through one man and that one man as Adam, all right? And so, but then he says, therefore, verse 18, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And so there, of course, he's talking about Jesus. And this idea of covenantal theology talks about um, the, the view that our salvation doesn't come through us, it comes through a representative, someone who is acting on our behalf. And I thought it would be good to spend this week kind of unpacking some of the central tenets of this idea of covenant, because covenant is, is a concept we find all throughout scripture. We see God's covenant with Adam that if he sins, he dies. If he doesn't sin, he lives. We see God's covenant with Noah, right? That God's not going to destroy the earth anymore through flood. We see God's covenant with Moses giving the law to the people of Israel. We see God's covenant with David, where he's promising David uh, a descendant upon his throne. And of course, we come to the supreme covenant in all of scripture, the new covenant um, made by God with us through um, Jesus Christ. And so we want to take some time this week trying to understand how is it that God relates to us through these covenants? What is he, what's his aim? What's he trying to show us? What does this mean for us? And, and the first thing I want to talk about this morning is the covenant that God made with Adam. Now, let me give you a, a good definition of covenant, okay? A covenant is a life or death bond, all right? made in blood. All right. So when all throughout scripture, when you see covenants being made, whether it's the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, it's all accompanied 
by this sacrifice of blood. And, and in it, what's happening is that each party is agreeing to, to live, to abide by certain stipulations. And so the stipulation that God is providing is that he will love, care, show grace and mercy. He will forgive sin. Um, he is just calling the people who are making the covenant to faithfulness to him, covenantal faithfulness and obedience and following him. Um, and the people are and they're shedding the blood of an animal to signify this arrangement. And the people in turn are agreeing that in, in exchange for the salvation and grace and mercy that they have received from God, um, that they will in fact give their loyalty, their allegiance, their fidelity to their King, um, God, Jehovah. Now, some have said, even though the word covenant is not explicitly mentioned in the book of Genesis as it relates to Adam, okay, that in fact God was operating with Adam and Eve on the basis of this idea of covenant, okay? And so let me read a relevant passage. Um, this is Genesis 2.15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So as you look at the whole context of Genesis 1 and 2, it's very obvious that God has placed Adam and Eve there and set them on a mission and that he has made, in a sense, a covenant with them. And his covenant to them is that he will give them life and peace and shalom and flourishing as they go about as his witnesses, as they worship, as they work, as they marry, as they populate the earth. Um, but if they are, if they break this covenant, then they will, um, they will die. They will be cast out from the garden. Sin will enter the world. Now, one of the questions I posed in yesterday's sermon was, what if Adam and Eve had indeed persisted in obedience? What would have happened? Um, was this a trial time where Adam and Eve, if they obeyed long enough, they would have been gained entrance into a permanent heaven shalom? Now, on one level, that's a speculative question, and it doesn't matter that much. But on the other hand, I think it does matter from the standpoint of understanding how God had designed, even before the foundations of the world, that not only would man live by this covenant, but in fact that he would be saved by a similar kind of covenant. So, so one of the things that Luther talks about is that when man was in the garden, he was able to sin or not sin. He had that choice. He had not yet been infected with the stain of guilt and condemnation and sin. He had the choice to or not to. And one thing you could, you could think about and consider is, well, Yes, Adam sinned now, but let's say that he didn't sin for an extended period of time. Is there any guarantee he wouldn't sin in the future? Or is there any guarantee that his descendants wouldn't sin in the future, even if he didn't? Um, and I think the, the answer to that is pretty obvious, right? That, that anecdotally, you can say, as God gave capacity for Adam to choose right and wrong, to obey or not obey, Adam chose wrongly. Man was man was created with that capacity. 
But now because of Adam's original sin that has been passed down to us covenantally, right? He's acted on our behalf. We are all born into sin. But I think there's even something much more foundational than that, which speaks to this idea um, of why I don't think God intended for Adam and Eve to live in a permanent state of paradise. In other words, I think God always anticipated man's failure. Um, and the reason I say this, if you turn over to Revelation chapter 13, and John's recording this vision of heaven, and here in, in Revelation 13, um, John is talking about the book of life. Okay, now listen to what John says in, in Revelation 13, 7. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Let's think about what, what John is saying here. He says, before the foundation of the world, this is before Adam and Eve were created, before any of us were here, God had a book. And in the book was were the names of all of those who would be saved by the blood of the Lamb, by the death of Jesus Christ. So we get this sense that before the foundations of the world from all eternity, God already had a plan to send his son to die for sinners. In other words, God already knew, God already anticipated, he foresaw, he, in fact, it was part of his original plan that man, in fact, would not be able to save himself, that man would not be able to walk in perfect obedience, and that God purposed from the very beginning, from before the foundations of the world, Ephesians 1 talks about this, that there would be a people predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that, that these were names already inscribed in the book of life before the foundations of the world. And, we may, we, and so when we're asking this question, why did God set things up with this idea of federal representation or federal theology or representative theology or covenant theology of someone acting on behalf of the other? Because it really seems like a bum deal with Adam, right? That we were born into sin even before we had anything to do with it. I think this idea of covenant was God's original design from all of creation woven into the fabric of everything to communicate to us the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ as revealed through his death for us, through his representative death for us. In other words, the place, the pinnacle of God's revelation of himself, the pinnacle of God's demonstration of his love for us is the cross is Jesus come to save sinners who could not save themselves, who had fallen because of Adam, who could not save themselves, but who were now saved, not because of anything they do, but because of the righteousness of God, because of the death of Jesus on their behalf. And I think that before the foundation of the world, this is the way God designed things so that we would magnify Christ. We would see the glories of his grace so that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. There is nothing that we can do to contribute one ounce to our salvation. And so I think that, that when we ask the question, what would have happened in the garden if, um, I, think, I think we would we know. 
sin was going to come into the world. And it was going to come into the world through the representation of someone on our behalf who's acting in our stead. But this is the way salvation works. Salvation comes to us who don't deserve it, don't deserve any aspect of it, can't earn it for ourselves. It comes to us by free grace through Jesus, who was the second Adam, who obeyed perfectly for us. All right, tomorrow and the rest of the week, we're going to take in turn uh, a look at each of these covenants as we find them in Scripture. We talked about the covenant with Adam. Now we're going to talk about the covenant of grace that goes into operation with Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and is finally given to us through Jesus Christ. And so today, be thankful for Christ's covenant with us through his grace, his life and death on our behalf. Be thankful for that. Praise God for it. And um, be mindful of, of the riches of the glory of the grace of God in your life. Let's pray. Lord, Thanks for this time, and thank you for this rich text of Scripture we find in Romans 5. And Lord, we pray that it will continue to take us into the depths so that we might know more and more uh, the reality of grace through Jesus and how we contribute nothing to our salvation, but we owe everything.